The America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all, to just right layers perfect for changing weather, to sun-smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays, every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. I was born in the Earth Lodge by the mouth of the Knife River three years after the smallpox winter of 1837. Small ankle, my father named me Mahiriwil, or Buffalo Bird Woman. I do not know why my father chose this name. The spirits of the birds, we thought, had much holy power. I'm still called by the name my father gave me. And as I have lived to be a very old woman, I think it has brought me good luck. In the middle of North Dakota, one of the least visited states in the nation, sits one of the smallest and least visited National Park Service sites. It's the place where Earth Lodge people, the Hidatsa and Mandan, lived along the Missouri River and its tributaries to hunt bison and other game. The site was a major Native American trade center for hundreds of years prior to becoming an important marketplace for fur trade after 1750. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, the Knife River Indian Villages National Historic Site, and the story of Buffalo Bird Woman, one of the last Hidatsas born in the Knife River Villages, in her own words, as portrayed by Grace Henry in the park film. The Mandans in my tribe, the Hidatsas, had come years before from the Heart River and they had built the five villages, as we call them, on the banks of the Knife River, near the place where it enters the Missouri. The Mandans lived in two of the villages, the Hiradzas in three. We had corn aplenty and buffalo meat to eat in the five villages, and there were old people and little children in every lodge. We Hiradzas lived in earth lodges. Our summer homes were built up here, above the banks of the Knife River. My mother's earth lodge, for the lodge belonged to the woman of the household, was a large one, with the floor measuring more than 40 feet across. We thought an earth lodge was alive and had a spirit like a human body, and that its front was like a face with the door for mouth. These lodges of dirt, grass, and timber were expected to last about 10 years. Our winter camps were made down near the river banks, several miles away from our summer villages. The trees nearby protected us from the cold winter winds and also gave us wood to burn for our fires. The winter lodges were smaller than the summer lodges and not as well constructed 
We would very seldom occupy the same winter camp the next year. Many times, floods and enemies destroyed our abandoned winter camps. Indians do not reckon their kin as white men do. We do not have family names. Instead, each child is born into a clan. A clan is based on the mother's ancestral line. An Indian calls all members of the mother's clan brother and sister. The members of the father's clan are called the clan fathers and clan aunts. Members of the clan were bound to help each other in need. We thought that the gods would punish us if we did not. Ahiratsa woman would turn to members of her clan if she had need of anything. If she was hungry, they gave her food. If her children were naughty, she called on her child's clan father to correct her son, a clan aunt to correct her daughter. Hiratsa men hunted buffalo and other game. Men were also expected to keep a constant watch out for enemies. Honor and status would be achieved through warfare with enemies and in the many different male societies of the village. The women prepared meals, cleaned the lodges, and raised the children. Moccasins had to be made or old ones mended. Shirts and other garments had to be made. Often there were skins to be dressed and scraped. Leggings and shirts were decorated usually in winter when the women had no corn to hoe. Summer was a time to make new baskets of river willows. Pottery from river clay and teepees of tanned buffalo hides. Hirata's children played many games for boys, games of war and athletic sport, for girls, housekeeping and games of skill. As the boys grew up, they learned to hunt and defend enemy attacks. The girls helped their mothers with daily chores and in the gardening. They learned at a young age that their roles in life were different. Our gardens were very important. Each family grew enough corn, squash, beans, and sunflowers to last through the winter. Seeds from the best plants were saved to be planted the next year. The women of each lodge had the responsibility for clearing the ground, working the soil, planting, weeding, and harvesting the crops. We would work in our fields nearly every day with our digging sticks and holes made of buffalo shoulder blade bones. We cared for our corn in those days as we cared for a child.
For we Indian people love our gardens just as a mother loves her children. And we thought that the corn plants had souls just as children have souls and that the growing corn liked to hear the women in the field sing as children like to hear their mothers sing to them. A platform or stage was often built in a garden where the girls and young women of the household came to sit and sing, keeping watch so that birds, horses, or young boys did not steal from or destroy the ripening crop. In early August, we harvested selected green ears of corn. Green corn was favored among all the tribes, either boiled fresh and eaten or dried and stored for the winter. The harvest of ripe corn followed several weeks later. When the corn was fully ripened, the owners of the garden went out with baskets, plucked the ears from the stalks and piled them in a heap ready for the husking. Young men from different social societies helped the women with the work faithfully each day, and when they had husked the corn in one field, they moved to another. In earlier times, the mighty buffalo were thick along the Missouri River. Tribal hunters could kill enough buffalo for the winter's store in a single day. Eventually, the herds moved further upstream, forcing the hunters to follow them, sometimes for hundreds of miles. Large hunting parties would be gone for many weeks at a time. On some parties, hunters and their wives camped together. The men hunted and the women packed the meat for the journey home by bull boat. We made the boat frame from willows, covering it with the green hide of a buffalo. Smallpox came. More than half of my tribe died in the smallpox winter. Of the Mandans, only a few families were left alive. Most of the old people and little children died. A few years later, our chiefs, Mandan and Hidatsa, held a council and decided to move further up the Missouri to a place called Like a Fishhook Point. I lived there for many years with my husband and my son. Later we moved further up the river to Independence. I am one of the last Hidatsas to have lived in the style of the old ways. My people became schooled in the new ways of the white man's society. My son and his children 
farmed and ranched on the reservation land above the river valley. Sometimes I come here to sit, looking out on the big Missouri near my birthplace. In the shadows, I can still see the Indian villages with smoke curling upward from the lodges. And in the river's roar, I hear the yells of the warriors, the laughter of little children as of old. Today, the Mandan, Hiranta, and Erekara live on the Fort Berthel Reservation as the three affiliated tribes. The elders are teaching the young people the old ways that have not been lost. My people have seen much change, both good and bad. With the help of the Creator and His gifts to us, we have survived and will continue to survive if we maintain our respect for the earth. The Knife River Indian Village's National Historic Site is about one hour northwest of Bismarck, North Dakota, and one and a half hours southwest of Minot. It's a small site with a recreation of an earth lodge, but the true significance of the place is the many mounds and divots in the land, lodges from the past that have returned to the earth along the Knife River. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, with audio from the film Mahiriwea, produced by the National Park Service, narrated by Grace Henry. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America podcast. And if you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag Be an Outsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.